0: And if you're looking for a show to whet your appetite for a little haunted history, then I'd like to invite you to check out Southern Gothic, a chart-topping history podcast that explores some of the most infamous legends, folklore, ghost stories, and hauntings of the American South. We've covered all sorts of stuff from the Bell Witch of Tennessee to the disappearance of the Confederate submarine, the H.L. Hunley. Not to mention our deep dives into the local lore of some of America's oldest and most haunted cities like New Orleans, Charleston, and St. Augustine. So, if you're ready for a little good old-fashioned Halloween storytelling with a commitment to quality historical research, then be sure to check out Southern Gothic today. It's available now on all your favorite podcast apps.
1: The Indianapolis Star, that state's biggest newspaper, is heavily covering the story, and a captain... In the Gary, Indiana, police force, Charles Austin says the situation is credible. That is incredible. Joining us now from Chicago, Father Michael Maginot, Catholic priest, who has been dealing with the situation. So, Father, I want to keep this fact-based. What you know, what you saw, what you did. Let's start with the boy. What do you know about him? Actually, I have never met any of the children. The first time I heard about the incident was when the, just after the boy walked up the wall backwards.
2: Monster Welcome to
1: Monster Talk, the science show about monsters. I'm your host, Blake Smith. Did demonically possessed children float around and fly through the air in Gary, Indiana? Was there a gate to hell in the basement of a small rental home? You'd sure think so, based on a lot of the media coverage. In this episode, Dr. Karen Stolzno, author of Haunting America and God Bless America, joins me to get a skeptical take on this mysterious story. Let's get this episode started with some
2: Monster
1: Talk. Well, first of all, thanks for coming back to Monster Talk.
2: (laughs) Thank you for having me on the show.
1: (laughs) I've got to say that when I saw this uh, news story about this uh, Gary, Indiana demon case, I knew it was going to blow up big time. My wife sent it to me. I think maybe she got it from the Daily Mail. Okay. Something like that. Isn't
2: that funny? It's been really huge in the UK.
1: It has been. Uh, it, well, it's been big in the U.S. too. So, oh, absolutely. I, I'm, I'm going to do some roundup. But, I mean, as soon as the Daily Mail picked it up, you know, it's going to explode. Yes, yeah. Uh, or the Daily Fail, as I like to call it. Um, <laughs> Indeed. <laughs> uh, before we just go rambling off onto the, the events here, let, let's explain to the listeners what this story is about in the, in the uh, off chance they haven't read about it. And we'll put links <laughs> in the show notes to the original story from the Indiana star. And I'll, I'm going to go ahead and break out some of the links that she includes in her research. Uh, the author of the story, Marissa.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: We at Kowski? quite it, K- That'll do. Yeah. <laughs> um, and I, I've, I've, I've reached out to uh, the author of the story uh, via email and via Twitter to try to see if I could get her to make comment and maybe she will. And I don't know. And if she doesn't, maybe she'll listen to the show and, do it later i don't know I'd, I'd be happy to have her on if she wants to talk about the case
2: oh yeah i think this might continue for a while longer too
1: yeah because uh the people involved are certainly uh, doing the news circuit and i can't imagine this has not been optioned for a movie already but let's let's uh yeah
2: and no, i wonder <laughs> if that's uh, part of the problem
1: yeah why well, yeah let's get into that so let's start with the beginning so the story first appeared um on january 28th 2014 according to the author it was after about six months of interviews and waiting for a release of information from various agencies that had uh, evidence mm-hmm. so the story begins when the ammons family uh, which consists of a grandmother named rosa campbell uh, the mother of three children named latoya the children are not named in the story uh right. they, they move into a rental house in gary indiana in november of 2011
2: it was around November when they moved into the house, and it was uh, within a couple of weeks that strange things started occurring. Uh, I think the first incident was some horse flies which began to appear, even though this was winter time. I think the mother and grandmother tried to to kill the flies and they kept reappearing, uh, so it's all kind of reminiscent of amityville quite a and, bit quite a but bit, but also the exorcist too.
1: And the Exorcist,
2: <laughs> as we'll see with some of the other phenomena, which began things like levitation and oh, no, no um,
1: spoilers. We'll get to that. <laughs> so, so the, fast. So the mom starts hearing noises in the night, and then one night she sees an apparition appear. It, it looks like a dark, shadowy figure stomping around, and she jumps out of her bed and tries to investigate. And she finds there's actually, literally, huge wet footprints in the floor. Bigfoot well i don't know i, I you know but, but if she found wet footprints obviously that doesn't sound like uh you know your classic night terror or hypnagogic dream let's also think about a couple of guidelines before we keep going through these uh events one is uh, i want to talk about how skeptics interpret a story like this so mm-hmm. one thing is we have to start with the null hypothesis And in this case, although it would not be a very socially friendly thing to do to someone who was actually telling you this story, you have to assume none of it happened and then see what evidence exists to the contrary, I think, is one thing. And Mm -hmm. the second thing is for each reported phenomena – You need to know, again, did it happen at all? And if it did, is there a plausible explanation beyond the supernatural one, which I think as the story goes along, the supernatural explanation is always the one that's being jumped to.
2: Yes, even though, uh, even in the original article, they do have some natural or possible natural explanations, and those are discarded in favor of the supernatural ones. They're the ones that we keep hearing about. They're the ones that are retold uh, now in other articles and on YouTube.
1: Exactly. So in March of 2012, there was a ruckus in the house. Apparently, some, several family members were over because there had been a, a funeral. Someone in the family had died, mm-hmm. not in the immediate family, but they were, uh, they're were doing a death in the family. Ammon's 12-year-old daughter was in her bedroom, and there was screaming, and people ran in to see what had happened. And the daughter was floating in the air, unconscious. Mm-hmm. So later, she wakes up, and she's unharmed, and she has no memory of the event.
2: Yep. And then they started looking into uh, contacting local churches and other religious bodies, looking for some kind of help, Uh, but most of them didn't offer any assistance. And one recommended that they perform a cleansing, strangely enough. Uh, So, then they began anointing the home with oil. Uh, They also cleaned the home with ammonia. Um, They were also advised too that they should move, but they (laughs) didn't have the the money to be able to do that. So then they started looking into clairvoyance and they had, I think, two psychics who came through the house and told them that uh, it was infested with about 200 demons. And that's a lot. Re-
1: Even for demons, that's a lot.
2: It is, yeah. Much much bigger than Amityville. That's right. And uh, then also advised that they do some kind of sage purification, some smudging of the home, which they began to do. And they also uh, built an altar in the basement
1: Yes, I, I found they put salt around uh, perimeters. They sort of basically made warding circles. There was a, an interesting mixture of uh, Christianity type religious approaches, uh, shamanism, uh, mm-hmm. and then classic, just, uh, uh, well, mostly Western culture demon defenses. Uh, oh,
2: yeah. And if you go through a lot of the articles that are out there, people are claiming that there's Satanism behind it or voodoo behind it. So it's really running the gamut of beliefs and practices.
1: Right. And the, the grandmother apparently was not affected herself by any of these things because she has um, what I've heard some describe as a guardian angel. She says she has some kind of supernatural protection from all this evil.
2: Yeah, that she was born with.
1: <laughs> so things go really strange because they decide to take the case to their doctor their family physician, whose name is Dr. Jeffrey Onyuku, I believe is how it would be pronounced. Um, and that's that's when it starts to get really weird. Um, I'm going to actually just read an excerpt from um, an article. It's kind of a long excerpt and I've even edited. But we're, if you want to hear the whole thing, we've got links to the entire article um, in the show notes. Sorry, go Maybe ahead.
2: Maybe I should interject at this stage. Uh, he was pretty skeptical, really, about uh, their claims. And uh, so this – the. The family doctor, and I think in his medical notes, didn't he say that uh, the family, especially the mother, were Delusional, yeah. Yeah, that she was suffering from hallucinations. Uh, so these are quotes directly out of his medical notes, that they were suffering from hallucinations, um, that they were having delusions of ghosts in the home, and that they were delusional. Exactly. So, uh, yeah, I think he maintained that position. So until he... <laughs> <laughs>
1: until uh, he saw the children himself, I guess. So Campbell said that Ammon's son, that's a, the grandmother says that the mother's sons, cursed on Yukwu in demonic voices, raging at at him. Medical staff said the youngest boy was lifted and thrown into the wall with nobody touching him, according to the Department of Children's Services report. The boys abruptly passed out and wouldn't come to, Campbell added. She cradled one boy in her arms, Ammons held the other. Someone from the doctor's office called 911. Onyukwu said seven or eight police officers and multiple ambulances showed up. Police and emergency personnel took the boy to Methodist Hospital campus in Gary. Ammons said hospital personnel laughed at her desire to anoint her sons with olive oil. I couldn't talk to them, she said, so I talked to God. The boys woke up in the hospital. The older boy, then nine, acted rationally, but the youngest one screamed and thrashed, Campbell said. She said it took five men to hold him down. Meanwhile, someone called the Department of Child Services and asked the agency to investigate Ammons for possible child abuse or neglect. The caller, who was not named in the DCS report, speculated that Ammons might have a mental illness. The person believed that the children were performing for Ammons and that she was encouraging their behavior. The Department of Child Services family case manager, Valerie Washington, was asked to handle the initial investigation, and she gave the following account to police in her intake report. Hospital personnel examined Ammons and her children and found them to be healthy and free from marks or bruises. A hospital psychiatrist evaluated Ammons and determined she was sound of mind. Washington interviewed the family in the hospital. While she spoke with Ammons, the seven-year-old boy started growling with his teeth showing. His eyes rolled back in his head. The boy locked his hands around his older brother's throat and refused to let go until the adults pried his hands open. Later that evening, Washington and registered nurse Willie Lee Walker brought the two boys into a small exam room for an interview. Campbell joined them. The seven-year-old stared into his brother's eyes and began to growl again. It's time to die, the boy said in a deep unnatural voice. I will kill you. While the youngest boy spoke, the older brother started headbutting Campbell in the stomach. Campbell grabbed her grandson's hands and started praying. What happened next would rattle the witnesses, and to some, it would offer not only evidence, but proof of paranormal activity. According to Washington's original report, an account corroborated by Walker, the nurse, the nine-year-old had a weird grin and walked backward up a wall to the ceiling. He then flipped over Campbell, landing on his feet, and he never let go of his grandmother's hand. He walked up the wall, flipped over her, and stood there, Walker told the star. There's no way he could have done that. Later, police asked Washington whether the boy had run up the wall as though performing an acrobatic trick. No, Washington told them. She said the boy glided backwards on the floor, wall, and ceiling, according to the police report.
2: (laughs) Yeah, it's a bizarre story, but I think one of the first things I thought is that you know, We're dealing with kids, I, I can imagine them um, you know, doing backflips and, and wall walking as part of some kind of trick. And there's a thread on metabunk.org and a group of people are, are talking about this and a few people have posted some YouTube videos of kids doing exactly that and it's just not outside of the realm of possibility, especially if there was a bed or something in the room that he could have leapt off. Uh, it's just... Not, a, a, not paranormal sounding to me.
1: Well, right. I, I guess the other thing is we're also dealing with anecdotes. Um, yeah. We're dealing with people remembering things. And if there's anything we've covered on this show, mm-hmm. if there's anything I've learned over and over again on um, doing this show and reading about skeptical literature and how the brain works, memory sucks. That's the technical term for it. (laughs) (laughs) I mean, memory is not really as good as people think it is. And these people were primed for experiencing a paranormal event because everyone was claiming there was demonic possession. Oh, yeah. If they were looking at it with that filter, then anything unusual might have taken on a, a paranormal or supernatural appearance.
2: Yeah, yeah, and it seems happens. like they yeah. were all under a great deal of stress at the same time. And uh, just in reading the various articles that are out there, it seems like both uh, Valerie Washington from the DCS and the the nurse Willie Lee Walker were both, both admittedly believers in demons and spirits. Yes. Um, however, there are two other psychologists, and they do mention this in the Indy Star article, uh, who also did psychiatric evaluations uh, of the mother, and they had alternative opinions um they believe that the kids were being influenced by the mother and i think it was uh a joel schwartz and uh stacy wright and yeah they both spoke with the mother and thought and the, the kids too um and believe that the the kids were really acting as though they were possessed and they were just being influenced by the mother
1: yeah they, they were they were acting out her wishes or, or trying to please her um
2: well, yeah, it seems as though the f- the activity ceased when they moved out of the home and when they were uh, fostered out temporarily. And when they met up with the mother again, it seems like everything had just been laid to rest, and um, the the mother attributes that to God. But uh, yeah. I think it was just some time apart.
1: <laughs> but now we're all out of sequence again. So. Yeah,
2: yeah, sorry.
1: <laughs> it's okay. The, so what happens next in the story, though, after the walking on the ceiling, is that uh, reverend michael i, I think it is mejinho yeah contacted. that's how
2: i'm yeah i'm hearing different pronunciations yeah. but I, that.
1: We, well you know he's done various tv interviews and uh, he's uh, enthusiastic about this story so um i i'm sure we can get the correct pronunciation from some of those clips later but uh, he uh is contacted and told about the case and on April 22nd, he conducts a four-hour interview with the family and decides that their house is full of demons and ghosts. And he, he urges them to move. Uh, and they they do leave temporarily, but then they have to come back Because they have to let in a representative from the Department of Children's Services into the house. And by this point, obviously the story that there is a demonic possession going on is is spreading around. Because two policemen come along for, quote, professional curiosity. And -hmm. they take a bunch of pictures and they say they see ghostly images in the photos and have an EVP they recorded. Which sounds more like they're doing a ghost investigation a la the ghost hunters than a police investigation.
2: Yeah, and uh, I don't know if you heard that EVP. I saw it on YouTube last night, and I heard it, and uh, apparently it says, hey, which isn't particularly demonic to me.
1: No, I have heard it. I believe I heard it on Darkness Radio.
2: Yeah, last night we were watching videos of all of these stories on YouTube, and we heard the recording of the EVP allegedly saying, hey, and so, we tried to recreate that and we just took a phone and recorded uh, brushing that against clothing and against various surfaces and, and even tried exhaling. And each time we were able to produce what sounded like the word, "hay" uh, or, or something similar to that. And of course, if you're primed for that, uh, if you're told that that is what is being said, then that's what you're going to hear.
1: Yeah. So, and it seemed to me that, um, again, people were taking this story um, – and beginning to blame everything that was going on in their life on the effect of these demons because the police started having equipment issues and their seats and their car messed up. And it's, whoop, the demon. And then one of the Department of Children's Services people had uh, health issues and uh, had some accidents. Whoop, oh, demon. Yeah.
2: <laughs> they all start attributing it to demons. and right. uh, Of course, the, the captain, Charles Austin, was claiming that there was a portal to hell. In the basement. In the basement. and mm-hmm. uh That's... It's interesting.
1: Yeah, I don't. Again, to go way off, but I mean, I I would say that none of these claims existed before this family moved in. Uh, So this, like, it wasn't like there was a long history of the portal to hell causing issues in this property.
2: Yeah, the um, the owner, his name's Charles Reed, and he said that there hadn't been. uh, I think he'd been. uh, uh, the owner of the place or the, the landlord for about thirty years, and there hadn't been any problems before this, and certainly when the family left, there weren't any problems afterwards.
1: Yeah. So, Maginot uh, believes it's a demonic case, and I'm going to kind of speed this up again because the the, uh, the this is a long story and it's got lots yeah, of very parts. Long.
0: Mm-hmm. But
1: uh, eventually, he does three exorcisms on the property, and he does the last one in latin and this final exorcism is in june of 2012 there's even more complications than that there's like a backup plan involving putting demons names in envelopes and burning them and all kinds of other things
2: yeah which is kind of bringing voodoo into it again
1: it's got every this story has everything yes
2: (laughs) everything you could want
1: so but ammons uh and her uh and the grandmother campbell move to indianapolis where quote they live without fear and in November, uh, they got the custody back of their children. And according to the Department of Children's Services records, there are, quote, no demonic presences or spirits in the home. Mm-hmm. So, um, and I think a lot of that's contrib- attributed to the fact that at least up until this story came out, there was less conversation about demons. I don't know how things are going now because Ammons is on the news, is on the news, everybody's on the news talking about this demon case.
2: Mm-hmm. Yeah, I. Um, I don't know if you saw the interview with Bill O'Reilly with Maginot, and um, he – I hate to agree with him, and also there was an interview with Glenn Beck as well, but both of them thought that the evidence wasn't solid enough to go public it with the story. It was interesting,
1: yeah, because Bill O'Reilly's a strong Catholic, and he seemed, he seemed very skeptical about the story, but Maginot was, I could only say, ebullient about the story.
2: Yeah, well, because he hadn't actually – uh, interviewed the boys or the the kids at all. He did not see the boy walking along the wall. Uh, he did a, a conducted a four hour inter- interview with the mother and the grandmother, and uh, and that was enough to to convince him.
1: Yeah, it, and then you know everything he saw he attributed to demons again. Um, so it looks like the media, uh, even though there is some skeptical coverage, there's a lot more. Um, let's say, pollinating of the story and spreading of the story then there is mm-hmm. critical examination of the story.
2: Yeah, oh, it's already evolving, too. If you just look at the different reports, it's, the story's already changing and uh, evolving, and uh, we're not hearing from the, these people who've had direct experiences. Um, from you know, We're not receiving any evidence either, so it's uh, just pretty flimsy.
1: I would like to think this story um, would eventually uh, well without without going into too much detail I'd like to believe that the kids could grow up without being influenced by all this stuff that's happened
0: hey it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline ready to go to your happy place for a happy price well why didn't you say so just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels so whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City go Kevin or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda you never have to miss a trip ever again so download the Priceline app today your savings are waiting at LuckyLandSlots.com, available to players in the U.S. excluding Washington and Michigan. No purchase necessary. VGW Group. Void prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply.
1: But if you look at the case of the Amityville situation, or, or really all the major demonic possession stories in the media, the kids end up coming up and then later release their own books because there's tons of financial pressure for them to do so, and then you get mm-hmm. the true story from their perspective of what happened.
2: Yeah, and uh, I mean, there's a possibility that there could be some collaboration going on and they're trying to create another exorcist or another Amityville. The stories certainly do are very aligned to those cases.
1: Yeah, I would be surprised if there's not a book uh, or a movie or both a book and a movie to come out of this.
2: Oh, now that Zach. Bagan's. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> now that he's involved and he's purchased the house for over $35,000, I think uh, they, they're definitely going to go and do an investigation there and uh, he'll have contacts. It'll certainly be coming out in book form and movie form.
1: In a hellhole in the side of a hill, there lived a Baggins. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs>
2: It's began's.
1: Is it really Bagan's?
2: I'm not too sure. I've heard of different versions. It sounds posh though, doesn't it?
1: It does. It sounds it makes fancy. makes him
2: sound smart.
1: He looks good. He's very fit. Good for him.
2: This is going in the wrong direction.
1: Um, so, how does, um, uh, so how does a skeptical investigator approach this case? I guess we could both talk about this. I already mentioned I think we should be taking the null hypothesis. Um, but again... If these stories are true, uh, and I'm just going to uh, – gosh, I hate to say this because I, I like to be open-minded. I don't believe a child floated in the air.
2: Yeah. Well Once again, this is just anecdotal evidence. And these people are all incredibly superstitious. The family, the the cops, obviously the priest. Uh, it's difficult to take their word for it.
1: Yes, it really is. And it's, it's like uh, there is a sort of um, – Uh, an armchair technique of of skepticism, which is really common, where you say, okay, well, that's what they reported, but what would be a natural explanation for that to happen? Like, you know, um, okay, the child didn't really run up the wall, it was a, you know, parkour move, or, you know, they, Mm they... they, uh, they didn't float. It was an optical illusion. you know. Or, uh, but sometimes, you know, if you go back and look, people reported people flying in the Middle Ages. They,
2: they, they didn't fly. It didn't and happen. Yogis <laughs> levitating. <laughs> it's like,
1: so, I mean, in this case, I don't even think it's necessary to postulate the child was faking it as much as that there's confabulation and um, fantasy or just outright made-up stories. I don't know.
2: We can't oh, yeah, know. And- we can't know. I think one of the psychologists too had yeah. said that uh, it seemed like there was communal reinforcement that was taking Absolutely. place yeah. within the family, with the relatives, uh, and even with the friends.
1: That, right. It, it, exactly. And, and I think there was a really strong um, uh, feedback loop of uh, positive reinforcement. Well, I, yeah.
2: I think the psychologist also said that the stories changed. So when the the kids were interviewed, they just kept. Changing their stories, and that's yes,
1: they did say that was very interesting. And
2: another thing that should uh, we should call into to question.
1: Yeah. So so I, at first I was hesitant to even cover this story because I read the story and I saw anecdote, anecdote, anecdote. You know, there's really very little evidence. Um, hmm. So what can we say about it except hey, it's an interesting story, but um, where's the proof, right? Uh, yeah.
2: Oh, I think it's very worthy, though, to look at the claims and to, even if we're just uh, trying to surmise, to come up with possible explanations for these claims. And then we've got something like the uh, image of that alleged ghost in yes. the window.
1: Yes, that's, that's an interesting photo. We can, I believe we can link to that photo in the, in the show notes as well. And it's definitely yes, to the article that you gave me the link to.
2: Yeah, there been a, a lot of discussion about that. And initially I saw it and I thought it's some kind of pareidolia. It could be the curtain or it could be uh, maybe the leaves or just something else in the the picture. Uh, And now I think the current theory is that it was an Android app yeah,
1: I'm still inclined to think it, that the Android app is probably not the thing. That it's more likely something else. But cause I don't
2: know. Just with all the pictures the, I'm seeing online, they do seem they're very, very close. Similar. They're very
1: close. But, but it would, it could be. But it does mean that the photo would have to have been deliberately hoaxed by the police, versus they took a picture that just resembles.
2: Yeah, which you know. is concerning. But I think either of those two theories is better than the. Idea that it's paranormal
1: Right, right, right I don't find anything about Human-shaped reflections Or even That's like, that's like vaguely human-shaped That's like uh Paleolithic art shaped, <laughs>
2: yeah. cave drawing shaped, cave drawing,
1: right? Yeah. So I mean, that that's don't let Eric Von Doniken see that, or he'll say there are aliens there. So
2: oh, too uh, late. Oh no.
1: <laughs> but so so I'm I'm troubled because okay, it's a great story. It's an engaging mm-hmm. story. It's a very interesting story. But why is it in the paper? I, I mean, okay. Oh, I say that because if if I said with all sincerity, that I have superpowers and that I can fly, mm-hmm. um, you know, but uh, a, a villain hit me with a ray it took my powers away so I can't fly now. But I have witnesses who saw me flying around and solving, you know, crimes and stuff. Yeah. Well, would, they, would they put that in the paper?
2: No, I think that this has been in some ways uh, just carefully coiffed. And uh, I think it, this this has taken place over the the course of years. It's not something that's just cropped up. And I think one of the, the main uh, reasons that people are believing the stories uh, is all of these supposed credible sources that, uh, and these credible eyewitnesses that were there and who are coming forward now uh, more and more to, to talk about what they've, they've seen. Yes. Um, you know, I think that's kind of the key to why this story, amongst all of the others, has piqued everyone's curiosity.
1: And I think we're likely to see this story continue to evolve over the next decade or so as people come back and do documentaries and specials. Um, And then people will want to be on TV, and they will want to make their story better. Oh, yes. Maybe not even intentionally, but over time, their stories are going to get better.
2: Oh, it's going to become more paranormal as time goes by, I think.
1: So I think Zach Baggins buying the property was probably a sweet move on his part
2: <laughs> yes yeah there was some interview that he did I'm not sure who it was with um, I'm sure we can put this in the show notes as well and and he was excitedly talking about all the research he was going to do and uh, just how dangerous this was and that people could die from this uh, this house and demonic possession and so I think it'll just end up being an episode of Ghost Adventures yeah
1: come at me demon bro <laughs> yeah,
2: yeah. <laughs> It provoked the 200 demons. One <laughs> yeah. day he's going to get his ass kicked. <laughs> <laughs> it's
1: inevitable. <laughs> so I, I did reach out to the uh, author of this story, uh, the investigative journalist. And um, if she gets back with me uh, or wants to make a comment or would like to appear on the show and talk about the investigation, that would be great. But if she doesn't, you know, at least we've raised some questions about it.
2: Oh, yeah, there was an interview I saw with her, and she was very tight-lipped about it all. Uh, she refused to com- comment as to whether she believed in what was happening or not. Uh, she said she was just telling the story, retelling the story in the words of the people that experienced it. So mm, That's uh,
1: a nice cop out. hmm
2: yeah, I wonder how useful <laughs> she'd be on a show like this. I, I think she was
1: well at the time. The story was blowing up, so maybe once the story calms down, she could talk. I'll say this: let me throw this out there. Looking at the rest of her journalism, it looks like she covers plenty of mundane topics. It does it well as an investigative journalist. It looks like, uh, from my research, but um,
2: oh, and certainly in her yeah. job of retelling the story, she's thorough.
1: Yes, yes, it looks like she did a very thorough investigation without actually. Um, telling us whether any of this really happened or not. Oh,
2: well, yeah. It's not a, an analysis or an investigation. It's just a report.
1: I wanted to be a journalist at one point in, in me. That part's still alive in me and tells me that this story should not really be covered. Yeah. It's yeah. in there yeah. somewhere.
2: <laughs> but at the same time, this has been an incredibly successful story for her. And and-
1: from the, the new media perspective of bringing mm-hmm. people to the website and looking at ads, fantastic job of journalists. Pulitzer. Dot com yeah. <laughs> prize winner, right?
2: <laughs> oh yeah, from a skeptical perspective, it's an utter failure.
1: Right. Yeah. I think from uh, I mean, yes, she inv- Yeah. Yeah. It's a mixed bag, isn't it? Because she totally did an investigation. She got a very thorough coverage of the story, but there's just not a lot of doubt in there. And I don't know why credulous reporting of ghosts and demons has a place in journalism other than like the sort of just Daily a Mail crap. Thing. Yeah.
2: Yeah. But she has a lot of juicy information at her fingertips. She received a lot of reports, uh, and just primary documents, um, stories from people. And, and she's spoken with these people directly. So she's got all the hot goss on it. So it's a shame that she didn't do a better job, but I guess that's not, uh, the tactic that she wanted to take with this particular publication.
1: Yeah. And it, it maybe her editor pressured her into doing it this way. I have no idea, but if mm-hmm. she wants to talk about it, I would love to hear about it. And maybe she could tell us more about what pressures there are in journalism today to write fluff pieces that are um, sort of titillating uh, without Mm -hmm. substance.
2: Oh yeah! After all the crap we've said about her,
1: (laughs) (laughs) I'm sure she's. I would love to have her on. Yeah, but isn't that Mm -hmm. fair? I was like, it's titillating without real substance. I mean, I mean, it's got
2: absolutely. uh, I mean, there are little bits of uh, grains of truth there that you can see. Uh, But there is so much emphasis that's placed on these personal experiences.
1: Yeah, I I do worry. I mean, I hope that the kids are okay.
2: I just don't know. I don't like their chances. I mean, they've been socialized into this superstitious upbringing from an early age. It's brainwashed and and indoctrinated into them and uh now after having these experiences i think that they're going to as you said you're talking about uh the kids from amityville coming out with their own documentaries uh it's highly possible that they're really going to take this through into adulthood uh and i don't see the mother letting off either with these experiences it's no i I, seems like i have personal experience
1: with supernatural thinking uh, mm-hmm. And I, I know what it's like when everything that happens in your life is attributed to some supernatural force and not to uh, natural causality. And, oh, yeah. and while the occasional, whoo, it's a miracle, I got out of that alive thing is okay. If literally everything that happens in your life is like the result of supernatural intervention and nothing happens because of your own work or the things that you do. It mm-hmm. leads you. You end up in a powerless position, and it's not a good. It's not good. It's not. It's no way to be raised. I mean, oh yeah. Yeah. Well,
2: they've created all of this, but it's their own proof, as yeah. they say it. So it's a weird kind of paradox.
1: It's a weird and fearful way to live, and I, 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 I'm sorry to hear about it.
2: Yeah, yeah. I, I just wonder what damage it will cause with them in future, but uh, I, I think it will stick with them.
1: Yeah. Well, if it makes them rich, maybe they'll at least be better off financially.
2: Yeah. <laughs> so. And all the damage that's done for other families.
1: Yeah. I mean, if if, if, uh, if I've learned anything from Hollywood, it's being rich makes everything okay.
2: <laughs> yeah. Yeah.
1: That's
2: <laughs> terrible. You haven't learned your lesson.
1: <laughs> oh, my God. If you have more stuff that you've prepared, I don't want to make you waste it. So if you want
2: to talk about anything in particular – Found some of the aspects of the the exorcism were interesting, um, where Latoya was apparently convulsing when Latin was being spoken and. Mm-hmm. Uh, and when she was touched by a crucifix, and so it, it seems like.
1: Wouldn't it be awesome to do the, like another exorcism, and then when you're speaking Latin, just speak complete nonsense or like very silly stuff, and see how yeah. Be, yeah.
2: Oh, be- well, he he might have been for all we know. <laughs> I mean, how do we know that it, that it was really Latin? But that seemed to be her cue. I think yeah. she was really role playing there, and uh, without having seen the exorcism myself, just hearing what uh, the the priest had to say, it just sounds like she heard. A language that she couldn't recognize and and thought it was magical and and then started acting.
1: To me, it seemed like the priest was setting up a total scenario, just like some other demonic exorcist we know –
2: which one? <laughs>
1: Bob Larson? <laughs> mm-hmm. Where it's all a role-playing thing, where, you know, you're prepped ahead of time for how to behave. She's clearly culturally aware of what a demonic possession and exorcism are supposed to look like.
2: Yeah. Well,
1: he feeds into that, and then comes in and performs this exorcism. She acts out the scenario. And then he gives a very, like, it gets stronger and stronger, and then he gives her, like, this big Latin-speaking finale, and then mm-hmm. she moves away, and is cleansed of the demons, and everybody's happy. And... Uh, In one sense, I'm like, okay, if that works and she's happy, yay, you know. But on the other, again, with all the reinforcement by the media and all this coverage, it can't be something that's going to really stay out of her life. Uh,
2: yeah, well, I would agree. And I'd also say that – I'd also add that with some of the behaviors that the kids were showing, uh, they were cursing in demonic voices and uh, growling and their eyes, rolling back into their heads. It seems to me like there was some kind of role-playing there, some kind of priming. And I, I wonder if not only were they being influenced by the mother, but possibly they were being influenced by movies.
1: Possibly, yeah. I don't that, It would be interesting to see what films they had around. Well, oh,
2: yeah, I'd like to know exactly what religion they are too. And you mentioned to me earlier that uh, they were taken to a Methodist church, uh, sorry, Methodist uh, hospital, and of course they dealt with a Catholic uh, priest. But uh, I'm, I'm just wondering if they might not be influenced by uh, maybe a deliverance minister.
1: Yeah, it could be. It's a good question. I don't. Yeah, just,
2: just the weird blend of smudging uh, and seeing a clairvoyance. Uh, I mean, that just has aspects, I think, of deliverance. Of course, that's not accepted by Catholic priests as a rule. And you know, I, I even wonder if the priest went about uh, doing this properly because it seems like he didn't really have permission from his bishop. Um, normally, these people, before they would undergo any kind of exorcism, they'd be exposed to psychiatric evaluations via the church. And it just seems like this was happened pretty quickly. Yeah. Without the, the usual channels being followed.
1: Yeah, um, it does. And that, that's a really good question. And uh, unfortunately, I don't know the answer. I don't know if uh, Reverend Maginot would be interested in talking to us or not. <laughs>
2: <I> Probably, have- <laughs> yeah. I think. Speaking of which, if you go to YouTube too and you start looking at um, videos that are appearing, there are lots of people just doing drive-bys and going and recording EVPs outside of the house. And- good grief. Um, they're getting some interesting stuff, some interesting EVPs, like I'm Scared was one of them, uh, Prison, and Don't Know, and Whore, and Pretty. So that's all <laughs> compelling It's like stuff. they're
1: talking to my mom. She's, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I wish she wouldn't call me those things. <laughs> yeah. Except for Pretty. Uh, that's okay. <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> EVPs. We should do a whole episode on EVPs. But- I would
2: love to do that. Absolutely. Yeah.
1: I say the word with disdain. It's mm. like-
2: <laughs> well, it's such an interesting background as well. Just the, the dive voices and, and the history of, of it is, is really intriguing. And, uh, you know, Thomas Edison and, um, oh, it's a big backstory to it all.
1: Thomas Edison, waxing philosophical. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> I would say that EVPs are, um, not compelling evidence uh, for skeptics for a lot of reasons.
2: Oh, no. And I think even with some of the EVPs that the the cops were recording, uh, there was some uh, argument as to what was being said. So people of course, right. were hearing different things because, of course, it is subjective.
1: It's very subjective. Um, and, you know, if you ever listen to EVPs on, like, paranormal radio shows, they almost always, in my opinion, ruin the EVP by telling you ahead of time what you're about to hear, which Mm -hmm. totally sets your brain up to interpret what you hear to be what they say.
2: Oh, yeah. And then even if you're given alternative uh, explanations for what it could be, you can hear that as well. it's
1: weird. It's weird because that's how brains work. They Mm -hmm. try to match patterns, and there can be more than one match.
2: Oh, yeah. I've seen ghost hunters argue uh, at conferences over what they've heard, and (laughs) it's just a perfect example of how subjective it is.
1: Thank you for joining me on Monster Talk to talk about this weird case.
2: Oh, thank you, Blake. It's uh, certainly an interesting one, and I'm going to be curious to continue following it and see what happens.
1: Hey, um, is uh, there a good book people could um, look at about ghosts um, that you'd like to talk about or recommend?
2: Uh, uh, yes, there's a, a fantastic book. It's called Haunting America. Really? And, uh, yes, and I might have to write about this Gary Indiana. Uh, demon story one day for another chapter in maybe a sequel of this book. Um, And if you want to read more about exorcisms and demonic possession and voodoo and Satanism, there's another great book that people should check out called God Bless America.
1: The, the, both of those the are same great books. So the, same, the same incredible author.
2: It me. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So
1: I really enjoyed Haunting America. Um, I, I, I learned Thank some things, you. which I mean, I, I'm always excited. I, I
2: learned some things because yeah. I tell you what, when I initially wrote the book, uh, I wrote the, the various chapters. I went back and did more research and just after a couple of years a lot more information had come to light and uh, I will admit that sometimes I was wrong with some of the things I said and uh, just knowing that uh, there's, there's more to the story I was able to really um, just explain a lot more things and uh, really just get to the the bottom of these stories and uh, and solve them.
1: And well done, and well done. I I, I, I apologize for saying I learned some things. My wife <laughs> would kick me and say you're arrogant. But I mean, I really have read a lot of books about this topic, and I was excited to get new material. So I think good on you.
2: So. Oh, me too. You know, it was just amazing uh, to, to just find this new evidence for each story. And uh, there were times where I was stumped and I thought maybe I should drop this one because I just can't explain it. And then uh, I'd find that bit of evidence that would explain a lot of things. And it was a lot of fun to do.
1: All right. Thanks again. Monster Talk. I'm Blake Smith, and you've been listening to Monster Talk, the science show about monsters. In this episode, Dr. Karen Stolzno and I discussed the Gary, Indiana demon case. Links to many elements of this story are in the show notes at monstertalk.org and skeptic.com. I did contact the hospital involved, and they declined to comment for privacy reasons. I also reached out to the author of the story, and she was not available for an interview prior to the time of this episode recording, but she is invited to be interviewed in the future if her interest and schedule allow. In November 2011, a Virginia man killed his daughter in an attempted exorcism. On January 18, 2014, a Maryland mother killed two of her children, in an attempted exorcism. If you search the world news for stories of exorcisms that lead to death, you'll find many cases, many of them happening now in the 21st century, where people are being killed or maimed because of this primitive, ignorant, and unsubstantiated belief that magical, invisible creatures are controlling a family member. Isn't it time for people to learn some critical thinking skills? Isn't it possible that in a world abounding with knowledge, we could also get a little wisdom? Monster Talk is an official podcast of Skeptic Magazine. The views expressed on this show are those of the host and my guests and do not represent the opinions of Skeptic Magazine or the Skeptic Society. Do you need a vacation from grim topics like the one we covered in today's episode? I know I do. Here's an idea. Why not join up for the first ever Monster Talk Cruise? We're going to take one of our most popular guests, archaeologist Kenny Fader, to Atlantis. No, seriously. There will be lectures about ancient aliens, the mysteries of Atlantis, and many entertainments. Plus, you'll get to enjoy the luxury of the largest cruise ship in the world. Details on how you can join us for this amazing trip will be made available after March 5th. I've worked very hard to make this an affordable excursion, and I hope you're able to join us for what I expect to be a truly amazing journey please follow me at Twitter. I'm Dr. Atlantis. And join our Facebook group where we discuss monster stories, movies, and media with other enthusiasts and listeners. Monster Talk theme music is by Peach Stealing Monkeys. And thank you for listening.
0: Did you know that you can now subscribe to Skeptic Magazine digitally? Just grab our free Skeptic Magazine app, currently compatible with iOS, Android, PC, Mac, Kindle Fire, Kindle Fire HD, and BlackBerry Playbook. Head over to skeptic.com slash magazine slash app to find out more and download more of your favorite Skeptic content.
2: Matthew and I tried to recreate it last night, and uh, so we just did a recording of brushing a phone against uh, clothing. Um,
1: I thought I heard something just now. Was that a
0: demon?
2: uh, A demon in a phone, yes.
0: Hmm. Step into the world of power, loyalty, and luck. I'm going to make him an offer he can't refuse. With family.